It's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented, as always, by Prevenex, my favorite supplement company, and so much more. I love these guys. I love everything they put out, and I love how much they give back. They are really one of a kind uh, in the business space, and they are our true partner here with the Rambling Runner podcast. Two products that I absolutely love that they put out are Neurofi Plus, which is like a protein powder, but so much more. Um, you know, it's kind of like almost like a meal replacement in a way. Um, and it's just really, really well done. Chocolate and vanilla. Sometimes I'll do it one scoop of each. I like to have that. That's always my ice cream preference if I'm looking for something. I'll do it with also uh, with that. I like to have it right after my run. Um, just kind of be able to to provide that nutrient punch that you want right after you finish a workout. But it's also just so easy to put together and also tastes really good. Other one is Joint Health Plus. This makes a huge difference for your joints because I know because I'd use it seven to ten days. You'll notice a difference. So many people who've tried it have felt it as well. Go to their website, Prevenex.com, and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. So today, we are continuing the Boston Marathon Virtual Race Series with Felicia Chen. What a wonderful story this was. Felicia is a remarkable person, someone who has been recommended so many times here on the Rambling Runner podcast, and I couldn't wait to get her on because she has just done so many remarkable things, but recently specifically with the Boston Marathon, this lady ran it not once, but twice. So you may be thinking, why would someone want to do that? Well, let's get into it with Felicia Chen. Felicia Chen, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How are you? I am so excited. So Felicia, I didn't tell you this and a lot of our back and forth. We just had a, a pre-call, pre-episode conversation. And I didn't bring it up then either, but I wanted to let you know that over the past year and a half, you have been recommended for this show just about as often as anybody what? as I've had be recommended for this show. No way. It's true. I didn't know I had that many friends. <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't want to tell you this beforehand because I wanted to get the full reaction. But it's true. So many people have recommended you, Felicia, for this show. So it's an honor to finally have you on. I am I am so flattered and shocked. Yeah, I, that, I did not expect to hear that for sure. Well, not only do you have a lot of dear friends, but you have an extremely interesting running story, which just got much more interesting over the past month. Not more, not much more interesting, but another layer of interesting over the last month. Um, and there's just so much to start with. So this is basically the third episode of a four-episode mini-series about the Boston Marathon Virtual Race Series. Your running story is much more than that. However, in the first two shows, we basically got to the Boston Marathon at the end, and we were certainly going to take a chronological approach to this episode too. But before we do that, can we just can we just tell the ending first? <laughs> sure. Can we just say absolutely? Basically, can we can we can you just give us the, the 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 two? You first of all, first of all, you ran two of them. Yeah. And what were the and what were the times <laughs> and the distance between um, your two respective Boston Marathon virtual races? Okay, so the first one was a 301.50, and then the second one was a 259.51, and they were a week apart. So when I first saw this, 
this to me felt like the kid who gets like the 1570 SAT <laughs> and decides to take the SATs again. <laughs> well, I didn't do that, but yeah, I mean, um, and plus I have to say, I didn't, I definitely, I, the first attempt was totally impromptu. So uh, when I woke up that morning, I didn't plan to to do the virtual. But when I um, saw a good running friend of mine, um, Camilla, do it, you know, I, I had checked Instagram before I had done my long run that I had planned for the day. Um, she had done it. And I'm like, whoa, I thought it didn't start until Monday. So I'm like, well, why not crack at it today? And so I did. <laughs> Well, I can think of a lot of reasons. You say, why not? As if, you know, there were no legitimate reasons. You know, there's there's not tapering and then there's not tapering. Well, I did kind of taper the week before. So I had planned like a two-week taper. Um, so during the week, I had reduced my mileage. To to what? Um, it was like like six miles a day with a full rest day before um, the long run, which was on a Saturday. And what would be a typical, what would be a typical week for you then? Like if that's, if that's first week taper, what's, we'll say it was the week before that. It was like eight miles a day, but okay. So this is very unconventional and I'm sure every running coach listening would cringe at what I'm about to say, but I had been running like 20 miles every Saturday or once a week for like roughly the previous like 28 weeks. Which is totally fine because you've never dealt with injury problems. Oh, no, no. I absolutely have. <laughs> I have like every injury like possible. So. Right. Oh, believe me, we're going to dive into all of that. And for people who are wondering like, wow, Matt really doesn't know history. That was tongue in cheek. <laughs> I definitely know there have been plenty of injuries. We're going to dive into a lot of them. Right. So, so you wake up and then you decide, you know what? Today is a great day for a spontaneous marathon. No, it was after I saw Camille's post and, and I knew it was like legit because she had her marathon certificate. So I'm like, oh, this is real. Like she didn't have the date wrong. You know, the, the window's open. So did you, did, so, so when you make that decision, like, all right, all right, today's the day I'm going to do it. Did you say, say if I'd asked you three weeks before then, do you have a goal for the Boston marathon virtual race? What What would have you said? Oh, definitely not. I was just like, just whatever my time was, was my time, you know? Cause like even three weeks before that, it was like kind of, well, I don't know, maybe three weeks. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't long before that, that I had been dealing with minor stuff. Like I had some stuff going on with my hamstring and then, um, my pelvis, like quad area and, um, all along my Achilles has been like, not a hundred percent. So, um, I definitely had no time goal, um, for the race at all. All right. So you decide you're going to do the race when you made that decision without there being an overarching goal. How did you decide your pacing strategy? Um, I, it like for all my races in recent years, it's just like run as, I feel that seems sustainable that where, where I've run fast enough to sustain it over the whole thing, but not like be too lackadaisical about it. Like I wanted to be totally spent at the end. 
I was going to push hard enough to do well, but also not bonk too badly. You know, I, I just, so sit for, for a while now, I've not had any, um, time goals for any race because I just operate better that way. Cause then I'm listening more to my body. I'm more tuned in and then I don't bonk, which is like my biggest fear of any marathon. Right. And considering you're, you know, basically half year streak of 20 milers, you must have a pretty good sense of what pace you can hold for that distance, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, um, 2018, I did a lot of, um, long runs. So, um, I had some good races where, um, like I ran five marathons and three of them were negative split. And then one of them, I positive split by like five seconds. So, you know, I learned that doing a lot of long runs really allowed me to learn how to pace, you know, over a long distance. Okay. So you start that race, you're ready to roll. It's game time. Your friend ran a marathon. You start feeling a little, little competitive jealousy. You're like, I'm running one today. Let's do it. <laughs> you head out. And at what point during that race do you realize that you're going to be getting really close to that three-hour barrier? I actually, um, well, you know, I had my watch on and I, I didn't think I was that close because I knew it'd be over three hours. I knew about halfway it'd be roughly a 302. So I wasn't even trying to get sub three at all, but it wasn't until I finished that I realized that, um, my moving time was three hours and 28 seconds and I had run 26.28 miles. So if I had subtracted the 0.08 miles and I didn't stop, I would have like literally just snuck under the three hour mark, which really bothered me. So initially I was actually thrilled with the time. Um, cause that would, would have been like my third fastest time ever. But then when I saw that I had come really close to going sub three, if I, if I didn't take any stops, then, then I got really annoyed with myself. And I'm like, okay, we got to try this again next week because the, the window will still be open. Look at you embracing a time goal out of nowhere. <laughs> so, so, so all of a sudden a time goal becomes a reality. It happens after you finish. Now you've just run, you know, obviously quite hard, right? This wasn't, you've done a lot of 20 mile long runs at this point in the year. Uh, with that said, there's a big difference between a 20 mile long run and, you know, working your way very hard through a marathon. Correct. So I was actually pretty fatigued from the beginning of that second attempt. You know, like even having done so many 20 milers, like the 20, but the extra 6.2 is actually quite significant. So when I started that second attempt, I was way more fatigued than I, I normally am at the start of a long run. So I was actually pretty nervous. Right. I mean, shoot. I mean, what you're, what you're basically trying to do is run your second marathon faster than your first, even with the second one being much more fatigued. Yes. Which is a, which is a really tall task. So what were you doing mentally, especially in those oh, early miles when, you know, you're a veteran here, you know how you're supposed to feel in the early part of a marathon. You're supposed to feel great, nice and fresh and tapered and marathon pace feels like a joy and, and all of that, you know, for the first half of a marathon, right? If your first half of your marathon doesn't feel good, then you're probably doing something wrong. So you weren't fresh as a daisy. 
So what were you doing during that period to make sure that you stayed on track for this new goal that you had set? Well, um, first of all, I, I actually, I, I expected to have a good race because, um, I, I didn't run that many miles during the week. So roughly five miles per day with a full rest day. And plus I had slept more. So I thought that that would offset the fact that I ran a full marathon the week before, but like 10 minutes into my run, my Garmin reset itself and it had never done that before. And I was really, really annoyed by that. And it put me in a really bad headspace for the rest of the run. And plus I was afraid I would do it again. So it kind of like set the mood for the whole thing. Like I was not, I was not happy, you know, cause I was already tired, you know? So, but I just like, was like, well, it's now or never, you know, this is the only day I'm going to do this. Um, I have plans tomorrow. So if it doesn't happen today, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with my 30150. But I was like thinking, I really need to at least get my 20 miles done. Cause I had this good streak going. So um, I, I told myself at the minimum, I should at least get to 20. But then of course, when I got to 20, I'm like, ah, I'm on track. So I need to keep going. But I was like really cranky the whole time. So what does that mean? Your watch reset itself. How were you able to track your progress in a virtual race setting with the watch going down? It, well, it, you know, it just started all over. So it didn't like die or anything. It just like, something happened and I looked at my watch and it said like auto activity start or something like that or auto start activity, something along like that line. And, th and then I saw that the, the time had started over and like, what just happened? Like what just happened? And so, you know, when I got to halfway uh, 12 miles, I'm like, I'm supposed to be more than halfway done, you know? And then like every time, you know, a mile went. I'm like, ah, I, sh I should be more than a mile ahead, you know, than what the number says. So I, I was, I was really not happy about that. And then you were on a treadmill this whole time, right? Yeah, I, mean, I was it on wasn't a treadmill. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were in, the, you were in this position where like you were, you know, if you didn't have your watch, then there was no timing mechanism. You were able to kind of manage this manually uh, without the watch being part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I knew that like, well, I, you know, I had never done a virtual race, so I didn't know how, like, like I, I saw on the app that you could connect your Garmin and then that could be the way you submit your proof. So that was my plan. And I didn't know any other way. Like I, I didn't know. I, I think someone told me later that you could just take a picture of your watch or something like that. But like, I, I just didn't know. I just figured I, I've connected my watch and then I'll upload it and, and it's done, you know, but like everything was just like really confusing. So I, you know, I just, just to be safe, I ran the whole thing according to my Garmin so that I could submit it and there'd be like, it, it, it would all be there. All right. So tell me about the final 10K. How did the final 10K compare not only to the marathon you'd run seven days prior, but the other marathons that you've experienced? Um, I mean, it was super hard. And I would say like, I mean, it, 
you know, when you're in, in it, you always think this is the hardest it's ever been. But I think every marathon, the last 10K is incredibly hard, you know? So, um, but I do think that this one just generally felt way harder than the week before, you know, just like I was just tired and also just mentally, um, not there because I was not in the best mood because of my watch restarting itself. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a grind and what I was, I was like questioning why I was doing it, you know, and all that. But then I just knew like, this isn't going to last forever and it'll feel really good if I, if I hit my goal. So it was just like getting through each moment, you know, and just kind of having these internal conversations and stuff and trying not to waste energy and, and all that stuff. All right. So about those internal conversations and hearkening back to, to other marathons that you've done, you've had quite a journey. Where did it start? We're going back to say 25 years or so. When, when did running start for you and why? Um, so, uh, yeah, I started like after my first quarter in college at Northwestern. And I, you know, was on track to gain the freshman 15. So I only gained like five pounds and I was never heavy. So it, it didn't seem like I was like suddenly, you know, overweight or anything like that, but I wasn't used to it, you know? So, um, I just decided to start running, you know, and my sister and I, I have a twin sister and we would just run around the track together. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that was basically it. Nothing competitive, uh, no speed work. It was just, you know, like maybe 40 minutes around the track, like, four or five times a week. And then, um, after college, uh, what happened? So, so I started working like immediately after college and then the fall after that, uh, or I guess that summer, my sister decided to run a marathon and I hope she doesn't kill me for saying this. I know she listens to this podcast and she loves you. So, um, she also says hi, <laughs> but she signed up for a marathon. <laughs> All right. Okay? Let's yeah. go chins. Yeah. <laughs> she signed up for a marathon. And then the week before the marathon, um, she, I, I do a, a run with her, a training run. And it was from downtown Chicago to Evanston. And it's like 11 and a half miles. So we did that. And then the next day I went to work and I was sitting in the office of, um, the senior guy in the office. And he asked me what I did for the weekend. And I said, oh, I, I ran 11 and a half miles with my sister who's training for the marathon this weekend. And he's like, oh, well, if you can run 11 and a half miles, you can run the whole thing. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, I just might do that. And literally, that was my only run the whole summer. And I signed up like two days before the race. Now this was back in 90, 97. So you could do that back then. And I showed up with my checkbook, uh, paid $40 <laughs> and I ran the race. So this is a theme. This is a theme for yes, you. You just yes. make these you know, spontaneous marathon decisions. Yeah. And actually, now that I think about it, my 5k PR, which, act, which actually isn't that great, but, um, I ran that, um, and I woke up literally 10 minutes before the race. Whoa. 
Where, where, where did it start? Your front yard? Like, how did you, how did you get there? Pretty much. Cause I, I, at the time I lived in downtown Chicago and they had finished like construction of this like whole underground road system downtown. So that's like where one of the Batman movies, like a lot of the scenes were filmed. And to celebrate the completion of that construction, they had this 5k race, um, like in, in the underground roads. Okay. So, um, I had never like overslept for a race ever, but like somehow I did for this one. And it was literally like half a block from where I lived, like maybe a, a quarter of a block. And 10 minutes before the race started, my friend, a college friend had called me and which was really random. It's that's like not normal. And I look at the time, I'm like, oh my God, I have a race to run. So I brushed my teeth and I went downstairs and literally just started like one minute later, I started the race and I like PR'd. Wow. I think we just found a theme for the show here. <laughs> That's for sure, Felicia. I mean, maybe maybe all of us need to start taking this into consideration when they were planning a race, because I think there's a lot to be gained here because you're doing extraordinary things, running extremely fast times, doing these really, really intense uh, weekly runs and high mileage weeks. And yet here you are accomplishing wonderful, wonderful things. All right. So that you have a kind of an inauspicious start to running and things, you know, kind of obviously have gone well from there. Um, after that start, we know where you are now. We just covered that. And we can certainly dive back into that again near the end. But what were some of the hurdles, especially early on, and we kind of can progress chronologically, what were some of the hurdles that really kind of, you know, they, they what were some of the that you were forced to deal with along the way that as you think back to those times and moving forward to near present day, uh, that really you know, had a huge impact on you and your running? Um, well, you know, I, I did deal with a lot of injuries. So, and I would say like, it was even starting at my second marathon, I would have like issues here and there, but I, I did keep running like marathons, like once a year for the next like four years after my first one. And I kept progressing. So my first one was a 341. And then I did a 330, like five or something. And then I did a 316 and then a 314 and then a 259. But all that time I was dealing with different things because, um, I, I was pretty underweight, um, in my twenties and, um, just, I just wasn't constitutionally that strong. So I was always dealing with something. But then after my 259, which is my PR, it was a 259.09, um, I'm, I wasn't officially di like diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I had a stress fracture in my pelvis. And, um, I was so frustrated by that. And I was taking running really, really, really seriously. It just devastated me so badly that I basically stopped running for like nine years and I didn't pick it up again until like 2011. So after that, um, yeah, I mean, it was just like, I, I handled it better after I picked it up again. So I wasn't taking it nearly as seriously, but I was, I was still dealing with things like quad stuff and hamstring stuff. And, um, but well, I let's, just, let's talk about that hiatus. Let's talk about the hiatus because that's, that's a huge amount of time. And certainly even if you're really injured, you know, you don't need that long. <laughs> to get to get over injuries, so so when you think back to that period um, beyond just injuries, and, and when I say injuries, I don't mean just the physical. I mean 
you know, just it can just be such a pain in the butt dealing with injuries, just the mental stress and anxiety around it. Um, once that period had passed, you know, looking back now with 2020 vision, what were some of the other things that maybe kept you from running, considering that you you were running at a very high level, right? you're breaking three hours in the marathon and you know, just in you know, that that's that's a remarkable feat for anybody. And then you take this huge time off. So so what do you think were some of the factors beyond injuries in that decision? Well, again, it was like I, at the I, I just was really devastated by my injury um, to the point where I was just really fed up. And I felt like this isn't for me. You know, I, I basically decided to retire forever, you know, and I was OK with that. Like um, it was actually a welcome break and I didn't even miss running. You know, I, I just went on with my life and I did exercise, but I, I didn't run. You know, I just, I, I just needed that break. And even though my sister kept running the whole time, you know, I, I just was fine without it, you know, so. And you mentioned you were underweight too. Do you, did, were you able to work through any issues associated with that? Yeah. Um, so in my 20s, like when I was running very seriously, I, I I just developed a really unhealthy relationship to both food and to exercise. So like, I don't know, I was eating a lot, probably more than I do now, but I was always burning off everything I ate. And that was like really important to me, you know? So um it was just like kind of an obsession that was not healthy at all. And it got to a point where I was just really sick of my obsession, you know, and I realized that um, I was actually being kind of selfish, you know, I was just kind of like, like, it, it just, I kind of understood my own like self-absorption, because it was like all about everything catering to me and and my needs when there's really so much more to it. And I wasn't really respecting my body. I wasn't respecting food, you know, and now I feel like I'm a way more balanced, you know, like back then I would run twice a day and now I never run more than once a day. And not, not that I judge anybody who does, but like, I just need that like break from it. You know, I, I just need that balance. And two, like when I eat, I just appreciate the food so much more. So like, I just feel, I guess, more satisfied by food um, because I really savor it and I enjoy it. Like any plate I eat off of, like every crumb is gone. You know, I really enjoy my food and I appreciate like all the resources that go, go into the creation of that food because there's, it's actually a lot, you know? Um, so that really helped me a lot, you know, and it was a long process, but I mean, that has, really gotten me to a much healthier place. So did you just have this kind of internal input-output algorithm going on before where you were always kind of measuring how much was coming in versus how much you were burning? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And now, like, it's been years since I've ever counted a calorie. I never look at nutrition labels. Um, I don't care. I, I really focus on how I feel. And I just, like, just love healthy or healthful foods, you know, like I, I don't like the processed stuff, you know, it just doesn't do anything for me. And like, 
I, I cook a lot more and I just like really, um, yeah, I just enjoy my food. And I realized that nutritious food is so much more delicious and satisfying than any of the crap that I used to eat, you know, cause like back when I was eating a lot and exercising a lot, I was not eating well. I was eating a lot of processed stuff and it just, it was now I shudder when I think about like all the pop tarts and stuff that I ate. Like I, I, I don't touch that stuff anymore. You know, I just like really focus on eating real food. Yeah, that's that can be a hard conversion for a lot of people beyond just the the convenience of eating like that, because it certainly is quicker. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, there can just be a pull. But at the same time, like, you know, eating an apple is no less inconvenient than eating a pop tart. You know, it's just like buying the apple versus the pop tart, you know. No, that, that that's that's a great comparison. That's true. It's hard to get full off of apples. So I guess I guess my my feeling is that like with that processed meals can oftentimes be quicker than um than like a healthy meal. But again, I'm sure I'm sure that that's not necessarily true. You know, I, I think that part of that is just kind of what habits you're into, and then that can certainly be um, a bigger a bigger weight on the decision making process than sometimes you know the the kind of the false reality that we can create. Yeah, I mean, I think that like well, like just looking at like myself, like I can create an easy stir fry, like really fast, you know, and to me, it tastes a million times better than anything that I get like processed, you know, and, and way more filling. Like it, to me, an apple is really filling and a granola bar I can eat like 10 of and still be hungry, you know? So like, I don't know. And just like with anything, it's like your priorities, you know, but too, like when I cook, it's part of the joy, you know, like it, 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 it heightens my appreciation for the food, you know, cause it, it makes you stop and think about it a little bit more, you know, like I truly like think about where things come from, you know, because everything's very unique, you know, like every mushroom had to grow somewhere, you know, every tomato you know, came from a tiny thing and sprouted and took some time. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think about it. So it, it makes me really appreciate food a lot more. That's such an interesting perspective. It's one that I 100% cannot relate to. <laughs> I don't think I've ever experienced those, those thoughts while eating food. Um, and it's, and I guess that's why it's so interesting to me because it's so foreign um, from a mindset perspective. With that said, I would assume that holistically speaking, it's much more of a, uh, I guess, a nourishing, uh, you know, I can see you getting so much more nourishment from food holistically with that perspective and not just simply uh, as some sort of like concoction of vitamins and minerals, um, then kind of taking the more mindless approach. You know, I had, this is a great example. This happened today at dinner. Um, my, my mother-in-law poured me a glass of wine. It's like, Hey Matt, how was the wine? And I'd already taken like two or three sips. And you know, I look at her, I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just mindlessly drinking it. I have no idea if this wine's any good or not. So then (laughs) I took another sip and I'm like, yeah, this is really good. But like, I'm thinking what you just said is like the exact opposite experience I had, you know, two hours ago. Yeah. No, I think we all fall in that trap and we all can relate to that exact experience, you know, where we're just like, 
not totally present and we're just kind of on autopilot and doing things. But like, I don't know. I think we just have to be really mindful about a lot of things, including eating, you know, and it, it, I think it's just so good for us. You know, it's just like, it's a good practice, um, for everything like running included just to be really present and mindful. And it just makes everything so much better. Like the quality of the experience, just like a million times better. All right. So let's dive into kind of the run-up, the the long-range run-up to what you just did in Boston, the Boston Virtual Race, two weekends in a row. All right. So let's just go into, into the, the broken fibula at the New York City Marathon. Tell us about that. And we'll pick up from there where that story starts and, and drive it all the way to Boston. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. I might have to backtrack a little bit to Chicago. So in my, um, so I had signed up last year for both Chicago and New York and, um, something happened in my build up to Chicago. I had run a 20 mile long run and this was like early August. And the next day, my left leg was completely jacked up, like all, like it all felt bad. And, um, I like for the next te- 10 weeks, I could barely run. And the times that I did, I kind of, I was just like, I was just joining, you know, another person for a run. So like, it was really just for that reason, but not, not because I really felt up to it. So in the 10 weeks before Chicago, I had only run 40 miles. And my goal for that race was just to get to 5K because um, the Wednesday before the race, which was my last run before Chicago, I had run only three miles and I stopped twice. So I said, okay, well, if I can get past three miles, like the rest is gravy. I'm good. Like I've already met my goal. And I actually ran the whole thing <laughs> and I was like really surprised. Um, and that I did that in like, uh, 328, like 50 ish or something like that. And, um, so I got kind of excited, even though I was like completely wrecked from that experience because I was not trained and, um, my body took a really bad beating from that. But, um, I, I ran more in the three weeks before, um, New York. So that the three weeks between Chicago and New York and I felt so much more confident, you know, cause I had finished Chicago and I had run more, you know, way more than in the 10 weeks before Chicago. So, you know, my, my biggest worry was actually, um, my Achilles because it had been like an ongoing problem for like several years. So when I started the race, you know, it was fine. And then, about six miles in, I felt like this little pain in my, um, right, like calf. And it was the same pain that I had felt for a few weeks, but, um, I thought it was like maybe just a little knot, you know, and that was it. Um, and it was like the least of my worries. Like I, it didn't even enter my mind before the race that that would be an issue, but, um, it get, got worse and worse after that. And then my leg buckled a few times. And then while I was on the, uh, Queensboro bridge, like in an instant, suddenly I could barely walk. Like I couldn't put any pressure on my foot at all. And so I had to walk like halfway up, you know, walk the last half of the bridge to the medical tent. And, uh, I had a feeling that I had broken it just by the way it felt and that I couldn't put any pressure on my foot. 
And um, it was confirmed like some weeks later. Cause like I, I had gotten a x-ray like one or two days after, after the race, but it didn't show anything cause it was too soon. But then later um, it was confirmed that it was broken. All right. So that break happens. You've dealt with injuries for a long time at this point. You took a nine-year hiatus from running because of injuries. You now injure yourself before a marathon, and then it really comes to fruition during a marathon. What was different about that experience for you compared to the experience you had earlier in your life where injuries had basically run you out of the sport? That's a really good question. Um, well, I think I'm just like way more well, well adjusted now, like now that I'm older. So I just don't take running as seriously or I don't, I don't identify so closely to running like I did before. So, I mean, it was annoying, of course, but like it was, it was fine. I just needed to take a break and heal and then I could start up again. And, and honestly, um, Instagram has inspired me a ton because you see so many people who, get injured and then get back on the wagon. And back then I didn't have that. Like there was no social media. Like the first time I, I got seriously injured and I, and I, you know, quit. So now I, I was just very accepting of it. And I'm like, okay, like we'll just get through this and start up again. And you have been a master of just kind of working around problems. <laughs> so thank you. let's fast forward to this. <laughs> We already know that you just ran a treadmill, a treadmill marathon in under three hours, which I mean, I honestly, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around it. It, it is truly remarkable to say nothing of the difficulties surrounding the effort. With that said, you had your own, you know, a couple of years, you know, a little while ago, your own treadmill experience from a revelation standpoint, which is kind of on par if it doesn't even supersede what just happened last weekend. Talk to me about learning how to run in this treadmill that allowed you to finally get over this physical pain and injury that you've been dealing with for a while? Because I think this story is nuts in terms of not only <laughs> how well it worked, but how serendipitous it was. Well, you know, I've actually been running, like I, I mainly run on a treadmill, so I'm used to it. And honestly, I'm, I'm very, I'm most comfortable on a treadmill. I think it's easier than running outside. And so in a way, I feel like this virtual run was kind of my Yuki moment. You know, the guy who won Boston, except of course I didn't win and it doesn't count, but it was in a sense that like, you know, w the setup was kind of what everyone else like hated, like, uh, who wants to run alone and blah, blah, blah. But for me, for me, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is like totally my jam, you know, running alone. Cause I, I also like running by myself more than I like running with others. Cause I just, I don't know. I just feel a little bit self-conscious and I just don't run as fast when I'm with other people. I just feel like a little too much in my head. So yeah, I mean, I, I've run many thousands of miles on a treadmill. So like to me, running a marathon on, on a treadmill was like really not that big of a deal. All right. So let's talk about the experience where all of a sudden the treadmill you know, you're 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 running on treadmills, but you're constantly besieged by these Achilles tendon pain. And then little to you, little little did you know, you have this like revelation on a treadmill that all of a sudden like springs your training forward. Which I think this is like just especially for someone who's like such a veteran of treadmills. Like this makes this story even more improbable. 
Okay. So I'm going to backtrack to like, um, 2016. So, um, I had like, I had already run Boston like a couple times, but I had never really trained on hills. So 2016, I decided I'd run, a, do a lot of hill training and I kind of overdid it. So I think that's what kind of sparked my Achilles um, pain to begin with, because it was like late 2016 where, when it started. But back then, like for a couple of years, it was just like some tightness when I woke up and then for like the first mile of every run. But then once it loosened up and got warmed up, it was fine. But then 2019, it was kind of like horrid. So 2018, I ran CIM and that's December. And I did pretty well. I did a 301 there. And then I took two weeks off completely thinking that would be like good. Like I was proud of my discipline for pulling back. But when I started up again, it was crazy tight and it just was, it never loosened up. So for all of 2019, it was like total thorn in my side. It was, it was like a lot of pain in my heel. And then earlier this year, um, I happened to run on a treadmill and I felt really fast. Like I was running like 623 to 631 miles for like, uh, pace miles for like, 40 minutes and it felt way too doable, you know? And I'm like, this can't be right. Like, how did it feel so good? You know? So I stepped off the treadmill and it turns out like someone had placed weights on the back of the back legs of the treadmill. So it was like on a decline. I'm like, Oh my God, you know? So I'm like, that's what that. So, you know, I just carried that forward. So for like a few months, I only ran like on a decline on a treadmill. And that helped my heel a ton. Like it, it was a game changer for me. So like after dealing with like extreme Achilles pain for like a year, finally this made the most progress. And I tried like so many other things, so much physical therapy, shockwave, TENS machine, um, like yeah, collagen pills and just all so many things. But like what really did it for me was like just staying away from uphills and actually running on downhill. And it helped me a lot. And how long did you continue to do that for? Let's see. I, uh, I wouldn't say it was like from like mid March to like late July, I want to say, but then I had some hip problems, <laughs> which the, I think the treadmill was making worse. So I had to take that off. But by that time, I like, that was enough time for my Achilles to feel a million times better. So I, it just needed that little bit of help. And so, you know, um, now running like some uphills and flat surfaces, it does like my Achilles does not feel worse. So, so that was, that was a thing. So anyone listening with Achilles issue, I highly recommend this little tip. I love how serendipitous this was. Like this, <laughs> this, this was not necessarily going to happen if for some reason someone had kind of rejiggered the machine with like putting weights underneath it. I know. You know, who I'm, would I'm do trying, that, right? I'm trying to imagine, like, imagine, like, if you're the person you know, who worked at the gym and you had seen this, you'd be like, "No, you can't do that." <laughs> right. Like you have to think Think of all the things that had to happen for you to come across this fix. Yeah. Right. You had to like crazy. rely on somebody to even think about doing it. Then you had to like then you had to like get on that specific machine 
And then you had to have like the attendants at the gym completely miss what was going on <laughs> or be so lackadaisical that they didn't even care right. that this was potentially going to be a problem. Right. This was like such a wild series of events. I know, but it was, it was extremely serendipitous. Like that, that was a game changer that I didn't expect. So, I mean, that, that was a true blessing for sure. All right. So early in 2020, you had targeted Boston. You were going to run Boston. No, you've spoken actually, about I how wasn't. you were. Oh, I had signed up for Boston, but I was also invited to do London. Um, because I guess it's, uh, the first year for the Wanda age group world championships. So this was the first year and I was invited. So even though I signed up for Boston, I'm like, no, you know, this is like, like once in a lifetime possibly. So, so I'm going to like put all my, my, my attention to London. So, um, I had signed up, but I, I, I didn't buy any plane ticket or any hotel or anything for Boston. Um, but then it got canceled. So when the virtual race came up, I'm like, well, like I never usually even look at medals when I when I run marathons, but this time it being such unique circumstances, I'm like, okay, I got to get the swag for this one. So I signed up for the virtual. Got it. Okay, yeah, because when I I had read what you'd wrote about being very conscious of you know of, of of COVID and really watching the spread and how that was changing your goals, I had just again obviously falsely assumed that those goals somehow revolved around Boston. Thank you for correcting me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when, when, the, when the dominoes started to fall regarding uh, races being closed down and, and all of those things is what, what, what was the pivot that you made to kind of make the most of 2020 um, considering everything that was going on? You know, I was actually a little bit relieved. Well, first of all, like, I mean, for various reasons, one being that like, I was really scared of what was going on and the virus, like, I, you know, there was a lot of unknown and I even planned to not even run London if it was still going forward. That's like how worried I was about it. So, you know, and just like knowing I wasn't even quite in top form, it, I felt like it was a relief, you know, that maybe this is just like, just what I needed. And I still feel that way, like, um, with all the challenges that are, that this has presented, I, I feel like this is kind of what we need. I mean, not, not, not that I want anyone to get sick and die or anything like that. Of course not. But I, I, I do believe like we're going to get through this to the other side, um, better and stronger. I, I really believe that. So for me, I think that like this pause and reflection is is like what at least I needed, and it's been good for me. And when did you find out that like this new venture that was happening in London wasn't going to work for it? Wasn't going to happen this year? Oh, I don't know the exact time. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it didn't matter since I had already determined that I wasn't going to go. You know, but, but they, it was, I think it was very similar to Boston in terms of all the announcements. No, no, actually London announced very late, like, and, cause I think they really wanted to make it happen. So when they even postponed it, they postponed it to October 4th. And even then it took them like a long time to finally announce that like it wasn't going to happen in person. Like it was only going to be like 
Kipchoge and his like rival, like I think they're going to do something on the track or something. So it's going to be very. Yeah, do you take that personally? You're supposed to be part of a special collection of people. How can they lift you out? No, no, I don't take it personally. Come on, you know the 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 age group champions, right? You're part of that group. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I am. I guess technically I'm part of that group, but like given last year, I feel like I don't belong in that group because it was like I'm like I I like I'm not joking. Last year was like a year of struggle and envy for me because I was, I felt like, you know, like really disabled. And then just like literally just watching people cross the street without limping, like, or scurry across the crosswalk. I was actually jealous of them. I'm like, look how easy they do that. Like, I'm just like, I'm hobbling along. And I remember being at the gym and seeing people on the treadmills going like, you know, what would have been really slow for me, like, you know, like 12 minute miles, but I was jealous. I'm like, look at them go, <laughs> you know? So like, you know, I, I don't feel left out. I mean, there's a, there's people who are way faster than me. So I, I like, it's an honor to be invited, but I, I, I feel like it's kind of like out of my league. Like I don't really belong there, you know? Well, I got news for you, Felicia. There are not many people in your age group who can do what you just did. So <laughs> while I believe in the humbleness that you just displayed and what in the words that just came out of your mouth, I wholeheartedly disagree with you because what <laughs> you did is extraordinary. To do it in your mid-40s is even more so. And the fact that you were invited to be part of this special collection of people. And I actually was going to do a series around that that race and, 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 and those folks. And obviously it didn't come to fruition because that race isn't happening. Um, it's too bad. But it's a very, very special group of people who are invited to do that. And and you should be honored that to be included. In, and as you, you should be included. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't a gift that you received. You certainly earned it. Now, you have been able to now overcome injury after injury after injury. You talk in a way that's so overtly positive and optimistic. So when you're talking to folks who are battling their own injuries, or if someone's listening to this that you've never met and they're going through injuries, what are some of the things that you've taken from your myriad experiences dealing with this that you would feel confident in telling others that they should, you know, either whether it's a mindset or, or practices or whatever, things that they can do to help themselves get through whatever they're going through and, and to come out of it on the other side, just as good, if not better than they were before. Yeah. Um, I think things will always get better. You know, there's, there's, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, even if it's a really, really long tunnel. I heard um, uh, a really talented runner say in a podcast the other day, he uses this as a mantra for ultra marathons. And it was something like, it won't always get worse. So there is a point where things will turn around, you know, and I've learned because, oh, I forgot to mention that earlier this year, I started using this app called Curable, which is to help manage pain. And it's really good. So it turns out that a lot of our pain um, comes from our relationship to it. So like, we're really good, I think, generally speaking, at catastrophizing, and that will like exacerbate pain. And if you have like a, 
you know, like a healthier relationship to pain, like you accept it and maybe not put so much focus on it, like it'll diminish, you know? Um, so we can actually control our level, the level of pain we feel. Like we actually have way more control than we think. So I think that might've also expedited my recovery from my Achilles because, um, I was learning not to catastrophize so much and I definitely was. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's just important to do the best you can with what you have, you know, and things could get, could, could be worse. Like I, I always try like, for instance, right now I'm wearing um, a bracelet and it has like these colored beads and then between some of the bigger colored beads are like these small black ones and it represents the solar system. <laughs> so the colored beads represents a planet. So there's one with a ring around it and that's Saturn. And it's kind of a reminder to me to always put things in perspective. Like, you know, yeah, it's completely sucks to be injured, but like things could be worse. Like if you have like food on the table and clean water and a roof over your head, like things really aren't that bad. And in fact, like I remember before Berlin, um, which I ran in 2018, I just remember I didn't have a time goal. And before that, uh, I had read about um, this book, Endurance. I think that was by Alex Hutchinson. And there's a story in it about this woman who had a young son and they were in Costa Rica and they were kind of walking on the beach and they were swept out into like the water. And they weren't that far from the shore, but, you know, it was like, they were deep enough that she couldn't put her feet on the ground and had to like kind of tread water. And she wasn't a strong swimmer. And um, her son was like on her shoulders or something like that. And um, after treading water for like 30 minutes, some surfers saw them and went out to rescue them. And then as um, they got to them and when they put the son on the surfboard, they turned around and she was gone and she drowned, like literally, like she gave up as soon as the sun was saved. And I think there's a similar story with that um, Glee actress recently who passed away. But like that, like really hit me hard. Like I couldn't sleep that night when I read that story. And before Berlin, I was just thinking about that and how, you know what, like if you have air in your lungs and a ground beneath you and you have oxygen to breathe, you've already kind of won. Like everything else is kind of gravy, you know? So like I always try to put things in perspective. It sucks to be injured. It sucks to not being able to run, but things could be so much worse, you know? Like we have to put things in perspective. Like things will get better. And aside from that, things really aren't that bad. That's well said. I think we've all had experiences where we've seen this firsthand. Maybe it's doing charity work or reading an important piece of literature or nonfiction or hearing about someone else's experience. Or There's a million different ways where we can get in touch with that feeling and the reality of what you just said. And then oftentimes we get brought back into our own reality and things become relative. Right. We have, you know, relative positives and relative negatives. And the reality of our status quo can oftentimes inform how we think about positives and negatives. And we all fall within this range that is baselined at our status quo. And if our status quo was at, you know, like you said, like 
we don't have to, someone doesn't have to worry about food. They don't have to worry about shelter. They don't have to worry about general health. Then the, the variances upwards and downwards can be very different from someone whose status quo is at a completely different level. And, um, it can be very hard, and I'll just speak for myself. I don't view things that way. Like, my status quo is is at a very safe spot. And because of that, what I view as a negative, someone else would view as, wow, you're like, that's your negative today? I'll take that <laughs> any day of the week. Yeah, right? Um, absolutely. And while I can academically, well, I can, I can intellectually say that in the course of this conversation, it doesn't inform my emotions in that moment. And yet it seems like it you are able to do that. So is this just a byproduct of experience or is there, or is there more to it in terms of your ability to, to set yourself up to have that kind of mindset um, in terms of your relation to um, real and actual suffering and not just perception of suffering? Um, that's a really good question. I'm not even quite sure. I mean, I guess I've just like seen enough and heard enough and and been self-important enough to know that it's important to like step back and gain some perspective. But actually, now that I think about it, actually, okay, so I, I think I do know the answer. So, you know, I, I work um, in like a really high crime area of Chicago and like I've been doing this for about a dozen years now. And I've had some really rough moments. I mean, I would say for a solid 10 years, I was actually not happy to get out of bed. I dreaded starting my day. You know, um, I was not a happy person. And, um, you know, I, I had some really, really low moments. And I think, you know, I, just a lot of reflection and um, just like putting like just for me, putting like stepping way back, like looking at earth like it's a marble really helped me cope and go on. And then things did get a lot better. You know, like the last couple of years of my life has been a complete turnaround for me. And I think it was thanks in part to like my change in mindset and or maybe a, a large part. I, I think it's made a huge difference for me. Well, Felicia, this has been such a fun conversation. I can see now why so many people recommended that I have you on the Aww. show. We still got a couple more months left in 2020. You've done some amazing things in September. Do you have anything else left on the docket that you're looking forward to? Well, London Virtual is almost like a, let's see, October 4th. So that's like in less You than are two a weeks. machine. <laughs> We'll see what happens. Seriously, no, no time goal this time. I, if if two fifty nine fifty one is my best for the year, I am genuinely okay with that. All right, let me let me just put it this way: try not to open up Instagram the week before, because I don't want you all of a sudden to have to oh. run four <laughs> marathons in five weeks simply because of social media <laughs> uh, unintended peer pressure. No, 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 London. Uh, in contrast to Boston, only allows you one day to do it. So if I do run mar five marathons, it would have to be in a single day. And that's definitely not going to happen. So don't you worry about that. Well, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh-huh. When, when it regards to the London Marathon, we also have time zones here. So one day might not be 24 hours. 
You, know, you might have a 36 hours if we take time zones into account here. Well, I do. Th- I think they said like midnight to 11.59 p.m. like UK time or something like that. So it genuinely is 24 hours. Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. All right. <laughs> Felicia, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much. It was an honor. Felicia, thank you so much for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. Always such a pleasure to talk to someone as just so enjoyable to speak with as Felicia. And I'm just so blessed to have so many people like her to come on the show. And I think you saw why so many people have recommended Felicia to me to have her on the show. Big shout outs to our sponsors for today for Sigmatic and Prevenex. I love these guys. I try them. I try them. I use them every single day. Prevenex, I always make sure that I have the multivitamin, the Joint Health Plus, as well as the Neurofi Plus, which is the protein powder right after my run. And I always have Four Sigmatic. I just, this is my favorite. I'll have it in the morning in you know, the, the ground coffee, and then I'll have the single serve in the afternoon. You know, it's, you know, we all love coffee. Most of us at least have it be, let it be more than simply a vehicle of caffeine. There's so much more to Four Sigmatic than that. So, you know, help your body out and give a little caffeine boost at the same time. So with all of that being said, thank you so much for listening. we got one more episode of our Boston Marathon series. I'm excited for it. Buddy Purdue coming out next week. This is going to be a really good one as well. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that. The focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.